Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. John chapter 4, we're going to finish up the fourth chapter today. We're going to talk about kingdom harvest. And, you know, one of the things is I was preparing this message I thought about, we're really talking about how it is that it works and where do you go today if you want to know how something works or know how to do something, right? I mean, you, you, your engine in your car blows up, you need to put a new engine in, what do you do? Well, naturally, you go to YouTube and you find a video that shows you how to replace your engine and you just go buy a new engine and put it in the car, right? Because you've got YouTube right there in front of you. Right, I, I almost cracked the screen on my iPad, got so angry at the stupid video, having to, and I finally said, that's it. I'll have to let somebody else change my oil. <clears throat> These hands are too tender for hard work like oil changes or something like that. But YouTube's kind of the, it's the go-to place to figure out how to do things, right? And, and, and to see those instructional videos. Well, Christianity is all about learning how it is that our life works under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to talk about what it means to live uh, in the kingdom harvest of God's kingdom on this earth. Earth. And I want you to walk away with this today, that Jesus sends his followers to labor for the harvest of his kingdom, and he calls people to believe in him. That's what we're going to learn today. How is it, how is it that we live in the harvest of God's kingdom? The Gospel of Matthew tells us when Jesus pronounces his earthly ministry, he says this, the kingdom of God is here, is here the kingdom of God is not a geographical location. It's not a, an experiential situation. It is a person. It is a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the one to whom we look today. In John chapter 4, we'll begin in verse 27. I'm going to work through the text as we um, work through the message today. Verse 27, John records, Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Now let me pause there for just a moment. I need to set the stage a little bit. If you'll remember in the first part of chapter 4, Jesus is traveling from Judea, the southern part of Palestine, up through Samaria to the northern region of Galilee. And he comes to a place known as Jacob's Well, and there he meets a Samaritan woman. He's left there by himself. The disciples have gone into town to get food, and the scriptures tell us in verse 6 that he is weary from his travel. It's noon. It's hot. And he's been walking a long distance. And so he's resting. He meets this woman. He has a conversation with her. And we talked about last week how many barriers really were just obliterated by Jesus just to have a conversation with her. Men didn't openly entertain conversations with women in this culture. Jews never spoke 
to Samaritans. That was not just a no-no, it was an absolute never going to happen. Politically, culturally, socially, religiously, there was no reason for these two to be talking. And yet Jesus obliterated those barriers to tell her that he loved her. And the only time that he reveals that he is the Messiah from God prior to his trial before his death is to a woman who was on the lowest rung of the socioeconomic cultural status. That's significant, friends. That's significant. And so he's speaking with her and his disciples return. And as they return, their response shows and and demonstrates for us just how odd the fact that they would be having this conversation really was. And it helps us see that. And so we see that, that they return and she immediately, it says, left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people. It's interesting to me too, as I read this, I'm thinking, man, if you lived in that day, just walking around behind where Jesus had been, there must have been stuff just strewn and laying everywhere. Because every time somebody meets Jesus, it tells us they just dropped all their stuff and followed him. Right? I mean, he called the disciples. They just like dropped their boats and their nets and everything they used for fishing and followed him. She dropped her water jar. And listen, you go, oh, you can get another water jar. They didn't have Walmart back then. There was no Amazon Prime. Drones will deliver it in two hours. You had a water jar. That was it. Right? But this stuff was just laying everywhere. Why? Because people became so captivated by Christ. That stuff just mattered so much less in every respect and realm of life. You know, the most natural response to experiencing the power of Jesus in your life is to tell somebody. It's to tell somebody. When something is so good that you can't get over it, you want everyone else to know about it. And that's what this woman does. She leaves and goes back into town to tell people what has taken place with her. Look in verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. You see, the disciples try to get Jesus to eat. But he's already feasting, and his feast is to do the will of the Father that he might accomplish his work. And this response, this is another thing you see so often in the gospel. It just totally confuses the disciples. What? Somebody else brought him food? What did he send us into town for? Why did we have to walk all the way into town to get bread if somebody else is going to bring him food? You know, and all of a sudden they end up bickering and they're in an argument about who brought the better food. And, you know, you went to Taco Bell or Qdoba or whatever the case is. I mean, they, they just get sidetracked in discussions and, and, and arguments so quickly. And Jesus is going, right here, pay attention, pay attention. And he says to them that my food 
is to do my Father's will. This is such a lesson that they will learn, not only here, but so many times in in, in following Jesus. That, That serving God's kingdom is the priority of life for the Christ follower, even even above the physical demands of life. See, what Jesus does here is he begins to explain the Father's work in this world, and he uses the understanding of the harvest. In an agricultural society such as theirs, this would have been very familiar. We, we have to kind of stretch a little more about what we've heard and what we know because most of us, you know, we might grow a few herbs on the back deck, but most of us don't make our living by farming. And so, but we can understand the analogy that Jesus used with them in the harvest. And here's what he said. Two words that are so important here. He says, look, look. He's saying to them, you're missing it because you're not seeing it. You're not seeing it because you're not looking at it. Look, for the fields are white for harvest. And he says this, they're not coming, they're here already already it's here it's it's around us it's all around us and and we're in the midst of it you see God's kingdom harvest is the clear and the present priority for every Christ follower what Jesus is teaching his disciples and what John is showing us and and instructing us in in following Christ is to tell us that when God sets a feast of his work in front of us we don't have time not even for some of the most Necessary physical demands of life. That's how important this is. Jesus sends his followers to labor for the harvest and to join others that are already in the labor. He says this, you're reaping things you didn't sow. You don't deserve all of this, but you're going to collect some of it. So that those who reap the harvest can celebrate with those who have sown for the harvest. And together they can rejoice because this is the work of God's kingdom. And that's how the kingdom works. What I want us to see today from this verse, that we too might look and see in our everyday life that the fields are white for harvest. Harvest is not some point in the future in which we are awaiting. And man, we're going to be ready when it gets here. But ready, already it is among us. And the way we live in following Jesus is about feasting on the will of God by doing the work of God that his work in this world might be accomplished every day through our lives. I want to show you three aspects of the kingdom harvest this morning from this passage of Scripture because I believe Jesus is teaching this to his disciples and friends, we are his disciples. The first aspect of God's kingdom harvest that we see here are the laborers. The laborers, those who labor for God's will to be done in his work being accomplished. Jesus held an undivided focus on doing the Father's will in the world. We see this throughout the Gospel of John. Jesus explicitly tells us, I don't say anything that God doesn't, the Father doesn't tell me to say. I don't speak a word that God the Father doesn't tell me to speak. I don't do anything that I don't hear my Father tell me, go do. He says, the Father and I are one. That means when He speaks, He gives a word or He gives a work That's what I do. But he also says that's when I do it. 
And what Jesus was training his disciples to do was not to in some way say, you know, I don't need to eat, I'm God. I'll just kind of, and get rid of the hunger pangs, right? No, we know this, that Jesus thirsted, that Jesus was hungry. And we know from verse 6 in John chapter 4 that Jesus was already weary when he got to the well. But the, the meal that was set before him was a meal of God's work for the kingdom that was to be done. And Jesus knew that this was the meal that he was to take and to eat, if you will, at this time instead of taking time out to do something Else. And so he's teaching his disciples that this is how laborers in the kingdom harvest operate. They feast on God's meal first as their priority when God sets it in front of them as he had for Jesus in the Samaritan woman. Look at these three qualities that he lays out for the laborer. The first one that he models for us is a full dependency upon the Father. The laborers in the kingdom harvest hold a full dependency upon the Father and what he's doing. And that's what Jesus did. He lived fully dependent every step of his life, everywhere he went on this earth, everything that he said, and in and, and, and all Always he was watching for the Father's work to be shown and to be revealed so that he could enter into where God was already at work. It's a full dependency. Jesus didn't live his life independent in any measure of the Father, but fully dependent. And when God put a higher priority in front of him, he knew at that moment, at that time, and in that way, he was to obey. That's what it means to depend. So when the Father spoke, Jesus feasted. Now you can go, well, that, that's great figurative language, Pastor. But, but he's Jesus, right? Well, Jesus isn't the only one that adopted this understanding. As a matter of fact, it's the understanding that every follower of Christ must adopt in the way that we live our life every moment of every day. Let me tell you about a man who had every right in our measurement. Who had every right to maybe say, God, give me a moment to collect my thoughts and to get some things together before I go. But he didn't do that. His name is Job. So many of you know the story of Job, right? Job was the man in the Old Testament whom Satan came to God and asked if he could treat him in a certain way to make him turn from his faith. And God said, whatever you do, you can't take his life. And so Satan began one by one to take everything from him. He took his family from him. He, Job was a, a wealthy man. He took all of his wealth from him. He took his health from him. Satan took everything from Job that this world could possibly provide for him. Everything. And you know what Job said to that? Job said this, My portion is every word that comes from his mouth. Chapter 23 and verse 12. That the words that come from God become my portion upon which I feast. God's word was a regular portion, more than food for Job. Why? Because Job knew this. I have no idea what's going on in my life. His friends came to him and said, dude, you need to repent. you got some major sin hidden issues. And Job said, 
I know of no unrighteousness in my life. I've repented of everything I know to repent of. I've repented of hidden sins. I've repented of sins I didn't know I committed. I've done everything I know to do. But here's what I know. For whatever reason that this has come upon my life, I'll not turn away from the righteous one, from my Redeemer. I will hold true and fast to him. And that's what Job did. Why? Because every word that came from God, he received by faith as his portion. As his portion. And that's what Jesus is teaching the disciples. And that what, that's what John is writing for us in chapter 4, that he might teach us the same thing. This is what it means to be a labor in God's kingdom harvest. God's word, friends, always proves sufficient to sustain all who fully depend upon him. You will not ever find a time when you need God and his word will not prove sufficient. Hear me. Not just to provide all of our wants. I'm not saying that. But to provide his will, his work, and his way for our lives. Harvest laborers hold this full dependence on God in all of life. But this full dependency does something else for us that we see in this passage. For dependency on God fosters two other qualities of harvest laborers that Jesus teaches. Look, dependency on the Father creates an urgency to do the Father's work. To do His will, to accomplish His work. When one depends upon God, it's not only what we are to do, but it also is determining of when we are to do His work. We know this, friends, that delayed obedience is always disobedience. The parable of the New Testament tells us, Jesus tells the parable of two workers that come to the Master, and the first one comes and and says to the Master, um, what do you want me to do today? And the master tells him, go and work in this field. And so he says, yes, sir. And he goes, and as he begins to get close to the field, he decides, you know, I'm, I need to run a few errands. I've got other things to do today. So thinking that the master has sent him, and thinking in his mind that the master knows what he's doing, he goes, but he never gets to the field, and he never gets the work done. The second servant comes to the master, and he says, what do you want me to do today? And he says, the master tells him, I want you to go to this field, and I want you to labor in this field. And he says, you know, I don't really want to do that. But as he walks away, he realizes, as much as I don't want to do that, that's what I need to be doing today. So he goes to the field, and he labors in the field to do exactly what the master asked him to do. Which of these two did the master's work? That's what John is teaching us here today. That when Jesus gives us a command, when God gives us his word, it's not just about what we do. It includes when we do it. Depending fully on God includes the timing that is right, the urgency of when we are to serve Him. God gives us His commands. God directs our lives moment by moment, second by second, by His ever-abiding presence within us. Because when God is working, that is when the feast is set before you. And what Jesus shows us is that a full dependency on God charges an urgency with which we are to serve Him. The moment to join God's work is when he is working. And Jesus says this, already the fields are white 
for harvest. That means God is working now. The fields are only ready for harvest because God is the one who readies the fields for harvest. He is the one who makes the fields ready for harvest. And this is the charge of our urgency in kingdom labors, friends, that harvest laborers are never slow nor slothful to do God's work, but God calls his people to join the action of his work with a charged urgency to see that work done. There's too much at stake to approach the work of God and accomplishing that work with something less than or other than the way Jesus models for us, the way Jesus teaches, and the way that God presents it to us. For God is the one who makes the crop ready for harvest. And when God is working, urgency characterizes the kingdom laborer in the doing of his will. You know, this time of year, we're familiar with the concept of game day. Right? What's game day? Well, game day is when everything gets put on the proverbial line, right? I mean, this is it. This is game day. You know, talking heads come on the TV hours beforehand so we can have time to get the nachos ready before the game and the kickoff begins, right? And then you've got idiots on these college campus that are naked but covered in body paint going, woo, behind the cameraman, you know, and just, it's game day, you know, why? I mean, today's the day, man. They're going to come out of the tunnel in just a minute. They're going to lay it all on the field. Not 50%, not 70%, not 90%, but 110%. They're getting all hyped because why? It's game day, right? So we get that. We get that. But harvest is not like game day. Let me tell you why. See, I understand this because I'm a Razorback fan. And if game day doesn't turn out too well, no, we just go to the next game day. It'll come back around next Saturday, you know. I mean, we'll, we'll talk smack and we'll get ready for that game day. But harvest is not like that, friends. Harvest hangs eternity in the balance. Souls of lost people who are eternally separated from God are being either reached or neglected at harvest time. And when the fields are ripe for harvest, that's when the crop comes in. You don't go take the crop when the seed's been planted. You don't go take the crop before the, 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 the plant has broken through the ground. You wait until harvest is time. But when the harvest is ready, you go get the crop to bring it in. And that's what Jesus is teaching. There's an urgency that charges the follower of Christ. And when Jesus calls his kingdom followers, his laborers to the harvest, it's a drop what you're doing and let the stuff that really doesn't matter be strewn all over the place because the harvest is here. It's time to hit the field and bring the crop in. And he's telling us that Christians live with this kind of urgency for the harvest. No matter where we are, who we're with, or what we're doing, we're always focused on the feast that God sets before us and not just the bread that we can occupy for ourselves. God's word says this, today is the day of salvation. That's God's word given to us. That's the feast that he has set before us. We are kingdom laborers today. And he says this, look, 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 today the harvest is ready. All ready to come in. That's when we are to labor for the harvest. There's none of us that are guaranteed tomorrow. But I'll tell you what, if you look at my Google calendar, I've got most of next year planned. A lot of it full, right? Right? We will be so careful 
to make sure that our time gets appropriately apportioned, that we might accomplish the things in the future that we want to do, and all the while we'll neglect the very moment in which we live. And that's the only moment we're guaranteed in this life. That's why Jesus says today is the day. Now is harvest. There are biblical reasons to make plans and to offer them to the Lord. But there is no good reason to deny the priority and the urgency of doing God's will to accomplish his work today. That's what John is setting in front of us. Harvest laborers hold a dependency on God that fuels a continual urgency to do God's will and to accomplish his work. Here's how Paul said it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 through 5. He said this, Behold, now is the favorable time. Right now is the time that God has set the feast of the harvest in front of us. In other words, his word has been given to us to go. Now is the day of salvation. Some of you are sitting here today. You'll hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached. You'll see how it radically changes a Samaritan woman's life. And because of her testimony, it'll change many Samaritan people's life. And you'll wonder if God could make that kind of difference in you. But you may be tempted to walk away today and believe that you'll deal with it tomorrow. When tomorrow is not guaranteed to you. For today is the day of salvation. You might still be here tomorrow, but you may not be hearing the word of God tomorrow. Jesus is not someone to be scheduled out so you can work him in. Paul says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. But as servants of God, as laborers in the kingdom harvest, we commend ourselves in every way. Listen to this. By great endurance in afflictions and hardships and calamities, in beatings and imprisonments, in riots and labors and sleepless nights, yea, even, are you ready? hunger why why do you endure all of these things and allow them to happen because when God sets the feast of the harvest in front of you that's our first priority and there is no physical need that is ever of greater priority than serving God's word which is sufficient for all of life far beyond just our physical needs That's what Paul says, that's what Job says, that's what Jesus is teaching, and that's what the disciples will learn. Jesus' work in the world is the work of every Christ follower as a kingdom labor. Every moment of walking with Jesus is the right time to labor for God's kingdom. Dependency on God and urgency to obey and do his will, these are the qualities that characterize the laborer in the kingdom harvest. Verse 39, let's go to the second aspect of the harvest. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pause there for just a moment. Just as Jesus teaches on the harvest, guess what happens? This massive object lesson surrounds them. Here it comes. 
There was one Samaritan woman that became hundreds of Samaritan people. Why? Because this woman whom the culture had already handedly rejected in so many and for so many different reasons shared one simple testimony. He knew everything there was to know about me and loved me still. Really? And so they came. And they came by the dozens, and they came by the hundreds, and they came by the thousands, and they begged Jesus to stay for a couple more days and continue to teach them. And that's what he did, and that's what we see is the second aspect of the harvest is the labor of the harvest, friends. Not just the laborers, but the labor of the harvest. And the labor begins with this. It doesn't begin with the disciples. No, here we have this band of men who are following Jesus everywhere who ought to know better than anyone what they're doing. Who does it begin with? It begins with that one Samaritan woman who was so impacted by Jesus, so radically changed by the love that he showed to her, she couldn't not go and do the most natural thing to do when Jesus changes your life, and that's to tell everybody that you see. And that's what she did. She went and told everybody, and then she said, come and see. Come and meet him for yourself. The second aspect of God's kingdom is the labor of the harvest. Harvest is never a time to walk through the fields, waving your hands across those ready heads of grain and going, oh, the harvest is beautiful. No, you get in and you fire that diesel up and you cut that stuff as fast as you can. You get it bundled up and you get it to market and you sell it and you turn it into a profit. That's what Jesus says. He says already people are receiving their due wages from the harvest. Why? Because that's why you harvest. You don't harvest to go, this is beautiful art. No, farmers go, you stay away from that. That is money. That's what that is. You drive through South Arkansas where all the chicken houses are and they go... You know what that smells like? Money. That's what that smells like. I'm sorry, that didn't smell like money to me. It smelled like fertilizer. And that's the nice word for it. Right? That's the point. The labor of harvest is to collect the crop. It's time now to do the work. And sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ is one that always extends an invitation to believe and receive. She went into Samaria and she said, he told me everything I ever did. Pretty good, isn't it? No, she said, come, come and meet him. Come and see him. Come and hear. He'll tell you the same thing. The harvest or the labor of the harvest invites a personal decision to believe in Jesus. And, and harvest laborers are people who are extending an invitation through their testimony. They're sharing a faithful witness that Jesus might become for others what he has shown faithful and true in them. The labor of the harvest always culminates in inviting others to believe in Jesus. I remember in my first pastorate, we were in a small town, fairly removed, had to drive about three hours to a good hospital. And um, I had a man in our church that was, had had a massive heart attack and was going to have quadruple bypass surgery. And I had to drive uh, to be with him for uh, the surgery that day or, or the surgery upcoming and had to drive about three hours. So I was going to spend some time with him that day before I returned home. And as I got into his room, I was like, man, Kenneth, how are you doing? He said, oh, I'm doing good, preacher. 
I'm doing good. He said, he said I, you know, I'm, I'm having some troubles right now, but this isn't my first rodeo. He had bypass surgery before. And so I'm standing there talking to him, and he pulls a sheet of paper out. It's a white piece of eight and a half by 11 paper, and it has this very simple drawing copied onto it of a heart with all the valves and, you know, these little things coming off of it. i got to be careful talking about this because I'll get kind of weak in the knees. And the doctor has colored in with a pen, black ink on, black, on white paper. It's very simple drawing, right? And he's going, well, i got a blockage here, and they're going to they're gonna take a vein out of my leg and do that with it. And, you know, and I, I'm going, I mean, I just heard, heard him begin to describe it. And he looks up at me, and I'm white as a sheet. And he went, preacher, you better go outside and get some air. And I went, I'll, I'll be back in a few minutes. And I went outside and sat down on one of the pillars and just tried to get some color back into my face. Just listening to him, you know. Man, when somebody needs a bypass surgery, they don't need the medical team to rush in with all of this high-tech equipment and, and the doctor to pull out a laser pointer and go, you've got a blockage right there and we're going to make a bypass and this is how that's going to work and that is where it'll come from to go there and, and that's what we're going to do. Thank you. And then they load everything up and go out. The patient in the bed doesn't need an education, right? They need a surgery. They need a bypass. They need something from the doctor. They don't need just simply understanding, but more than understanding, they need an invitation into the OR. Friends, people who are lost and separated from God don't just need to hear us talk about Jesus as something disconnected from them. They need to hear us say, come, come now, he's here. You gotta meet this guy. You'll never believe what he's done for me and what he can do for you. It makes all the difference in the way that we labor for the kingdom. And the testimony of a faithful witness invites people to come to Jesus. And the way that we labor for the harvest, it says so much about what we believe about Jesus and what we believe about him doing in our heart and in our life today. The evangelism methods and models and trends that we have today are, are so different. I remember as a kid you would hear teaching on evangelism in the church and there was always at the end the invitation time. Not, not just the preacher up front, but I'm talking about personal evangelism. It was kind of known as once you share the gospel, you always need to step in and you need to invite people to, to receive Christ through a prayer to put faith in Jesus that they too might repent of their sins and receive him. That was called kind of drawing the net is the way that so many would uh, refer to that because it gave the opportunity to Gather the catch, if you will. Fishers of men, you're following the whole analogy, right? But today, it's just really popular to talk about the gospel without explaining the gospel and just leave it with people and hope that they'll figure out what to do. That sounds like snipe hunting that I grew up on. You ever go snipe hunting? That's what your uncle does to you. In the midnight darkness, when he takes you in the middle of nowhere and says, wait right here, they're going to run right at you, catch them with this pillowcase. Three hours later, you're still standing there in the pitch dark going, which way should I be looking? Hello? Hello? Right? We just leave people in darkness if we don't invite them to come in. But Penn and Teller are, are, are popular secular comedians. 
And they're, they're, they're characterized so often by uh, their, their crude uh, comments and the way that they speak of things. But a couple of years ago, they came out with a video talking about the claims of Christianity. And they said the most unloving thing that a person who claims to be a Christian could do would have the information that they have and never share it with people. I thought that is so prophetic for the church. So prophetic. Somehow we've removed our responsibility to labor for the kingdom. Now I'm going to push pretty hard on this, but we live in a day and time when we will fill stadiums around the world for a worship concert, but if you go to evangelism training, you can both ride together in a smart car. Because there's nobody showing up for it. We want to have an experience with God, but we don't want to be bothered by his command to be a faithful witness. And what ends up happening is that we tell people you can do whatever you want to do with God in regards to the gospel because that's what I'm doing with him. That's what we tell people by our actions when we fail to invite them to meet Jesus. Bad substitutes for faithfulness and harvest labors just simply prove that we've not fully surrendered our lives to the kingdom work. But rather we want Jesus to build our kingdom in our way, on our schedule, for our good and our glory. Every testimony, every testimony leads to an invitation to meet Jesus. Don't ever forget that, friends. Listen, I'm not saying you've got to be Billy Graham. I'm not saying you've got to become a street preacher tomorrow. But I'm telling you this. In that relationship with a co-worker, with a friend, maybe a family member, whoever it is, don't ever walk away that in some way you don't make an offer of an invitation. It may be an ongoing conversation that you're having. But they need to always know where they stand with God, and that God, through Jesus Christ, stands waiting for them. That's the most awkward part of the conversation to get to. But there's a reason for that. Because the evil one, the accuser, doesn't want you to extend the invitation. That is the labor of the kingdom harvest that God has sent us into the world for. The Samaritan woman had nothing to offer people, but she brought hundreds with her. These are people that very likely wouldn't even, wouldn't even talk to her before this moment because of who she was in society. But when they heard, they couldn't not come and see. Sharing Jesus and inviting people to believe in him and receive eternal life, that's the labor of God's kingdom. Let's look at the last few verses. Verse 46. So it tells us that Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee where he was headed where he made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judah to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said, go, your son will live. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. 
And as he was going, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judah into Galilee. The third aspect, friends, of God's kingdom is not that we only are laborers of the harvest. Not that only the labor of the harvest is inviting people to see Jesus. But this is the most important. Are you ready? Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. That's why we as laborers and the labor of inviting people to him become so critical. Because he is the Lord of the harvest. John tells us that this man came to him and said, please come, my son is ill. And Jesus responds to everyone. He's telling them in Galilee, what's he already done up there? He turned water to wine. They've already seen a sign. But they're still demanding more before they'll believe. Why? Because believe is not their aim. They just want to have a little more sham wow, a little more excitement, a little more whoopty, but not a lot of responsibility, not any commitment of their own lives. And Jesus said to the people, you won't believe unless you see a sign. So here goes the second one that I give to you. And he tells the man, go. Of course, the man, as the story says, goes home and his servants tell him, your son is well. When did it happen? It happened at the same hour that Jesus had told him that his son would be well. And I'm going to tell you what, that man believed. He knew. He put the two dots together. He knew why his son was made well. But then the last verse that John gives us in chapter 4 is this. This is the second sign that Jesus did among those in Cana of Galilee. Why did John write that? I'll tell you why John wrote that. Because he's not just telling us of all the great things that took place in Cana of Galilee or the official and his son's house. He's telling you and I who it is that we serve when we labor for the kingdom. We serve the Lord of the harvest. Jesus, there's nobody like him. Nobody does what Jesus does. And the question is this, are you going to demand one more sign or will you believe because you've heard? Today, will you demand that God do something else for you if he wants you to believe? It's a give and take kind of a transaction. Or will you hear, put your faith in him and receive? Maybe you're a believer here today and your life in walking with Christ you love him, you believe in him, you have those moments of where you don't live perfectly for him. We understand that. The Christian life is not a perfect life. But at the end of the day, specifically today, you know that your faithfulness and witness and laboring for the kingdom is not where God has called you to be. I want to pointedly ask you this. Will you serve the Lord of the harvest in the labor of the kingdom as a faithful witness, inviting people to Jesus? Or will you demand that God do one more thing for you if he's going to ask this of you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the difference maker in this world. 
the difference maker in every life who's ever put their trust in you. We know that. And yet we get so called up in our lives that we let everything, anything distract us. We keep holding on to everything we've put our hands on in this world. And it becomes for us a way not to follow you, not to obey you. But Lord, as your word has instructed us today and helped us understand what the kingdom is all about, you invite us not only to come to you if we've never believed in you, but to follow you as your followers, as people who live by faith, as people who've been radically changed, as people who tell other people, you'll never believe all that he's done for me. Why don't you come and meet this man? God, I pray that you would help us today. Bring conviction where we have fallen short in so many ways. Bring conviction of where you're wanting to lead us in following you. And give us great joy, urgency, gladness, and hope to go and tell the world.